far as timing or otherwise, I don't sleep in till 10 o'clock every day or whatever. You, the older you get, you just have a body clock and really don't even need uh, an alarm. You might need an alarm for 4 a.m. for Grace and Granite, but unless you're Mark Hager, you've probably been up for a while. And uh, no? You were, were you up at 4 this morning? I've never heard Mark Hager speechless in my life. So he, he must have been up all night. I don't know. Okay. So that either usually means Mark is thinking about what to say or he already knows what to say, but he's trying to figure out whether it's appropriate to say. That's usually what, what's going on with, uh, with Mark. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just keep getting up, uh, you know, and, and um, spending time in prayer. I've got a lot of time to, to pray. Um, and you can pray anytime, obviously, any day, whether you're in the midst of work or vacation, but, but to have just a period where there's no end point. I don't know about you, but I, I find when I get to the end of, of uh, I get to the end of my, my available time before I get to the end of things to pray for and pray about. So I'll find myself quite often, you know, feeling the clock, even though I don't know exactly what time it is, and I'll look at it and go, oh, yeah, I've got five more minutes, you know. And um, that, that happened the, this morning. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful morning. And, um, you know, coming to be able to be with you guys. But, but, but to not have an end point where you can just continue praying however long that you, uh, you, you, want, to, you, you want to do it. And I prayed for you. You were well cared for. Um, and uh, I think Mark was, was Mark. Were you last week? Yeah. And um, so I haven't been able to listen to what either of uh, of the lessons were uh, were, were about. Um, but um, um, I prayed for you during that period of time. Delighted to uh, to be back with you. We're going to be talking about um, the truth this morning. Uh, both how you, you, you become convictional about it. So there's two parts. I don't know whether we'll get to the developing convictions the, uh, part this morning, but we're going to be on number three, which is applying the word to life's hardest questions. So before you ever are able to develop convictions, things for which you would die, things that, that, that govern your life, you know, these are, the, these are, these are governing things. This is a, these are things that you, you, you hold tightly, things that hold tightly to you, things that are not movable. We live in a society and a world where everything moves around. And, and you, um, you know that that's, that, that's not, not very stabilizing. Uh, uh, people live in a world where the ground seems to be moving. Uh, it, it's also not very inspiring. Right. I mean, you watch politicians, you watch people on TV or you listen to them on the radio and they they change with public opinion and you lose respect. You're you're like, well, I mean, if 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 you can just blow with the wind, then then it must not be something compelling enough for me to to follow. Well, the Bible, Jesus Christ is someone compelling enough to follow. And the truth that that comes uh, in the written word from the living word is, is what you build your life on, the convictions that, that are there. And those convictions deepen. Um, if you are, like me, coming from a very wicked background, 
you may hold tightly to, to certain convictions that you realize the more you mature and the more you study your Bible, you, you might have held tightly to a little bit too tightly to a few things because you hated your sin and then you, you learn how to mellow a little bit. Uh, but, but, but still, uh, in the other things, the, mo- the important things, the big things, you, you, they, they just they, they engulf you and, and these are just non-negotiables. Um, and we'll talk about talk about that. How you how you work the truth out in your life, even the hard stuff, which then develops that um, that rebar, um, that concrete that's uh, that's there. But before we get to our foundational convictions, we want to we want to look at Psalm three. So turn there. This will be our time in in prayer. And we want to pray uh, not only for ourselves this morning, give God thanks. We also want to pray for Chad Crawford's father. Um, when we do that, he's having surgery today. Um, the uh, cardioid artery surgery, and so we want to pray for him. Let's read the third psalm here. It's a psalm of David. When um, he fled... From Absalom, his son. Uh, that's a whole other topic that we could talk about. Um, the grief of a, not just a wayward son, but one who is against you, attacking you. Um, but listen to what David says. He's not just talking about Absalom here because he uses adversaries plural. He says, O oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him. Watch how he turns here. He says, he starts with a prayer. Lord, how my adversaries have increased. And they're talking. They're they're saying a lot of of stuff. Clay talked to us about that on on Sunday night. How there's a, there's a reel that's playing. There's a, there's a, a voice that's in your head all the time. It's coming from your old man, coming from your flesh, telling you lies. Well, here these, these lies are coming from, from not even inside, but outside. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But Verse 3, but you. So many are saying, but David says, what does the Lord say? But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head, you, 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 you protect me, you're my focus, you're the one that I, I, uh, I exalt in, and you're the one that, that exalts me, you're the one that takes my chin when it's down and, and lifts me up. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, I awoke. For the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all of my enemies on their cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. 
And so this really is a, is a prayer and, and praise. And David begins here with, with his situation. We're told exactly what it is when he fled from Absalom, his son. And that's obviously not resolved in the middle of this, of this psalm. And he lays out his predicament here, um, as my study Bible says, and then he turns to, to what the Lord says. Not what they say, but what the Lord says. And then, and then in, in verse 5, he, he says, I, I lay down and slept, and I, and I woke up, and you sustained me. Um, you've probably been in a situation, you probably think in your life, where it's gripped your heart, it's troubling, you can't sleep. Um, David's situation didn't change when he went to sleep. <laughs> I mean, his situation was still there. Why can David go to sleep and wake up and the Lord sustain him through the night? Because your circumstances aren't determinative. God is the one who, who's determinative. He's trusting in the, in the Lord. And then he, he makes this proclamation. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about. I mean, this is, is not David thumping his chest saying, I will not be afraid. I mean, David's not afraid. He's not afraid, just like he wasn't afraid when he went to sleep. And he's not afraid no matter how big the enemy is or what people say or how many there are because, because he trusts in the, in, in the Lord. Um. One of the first verses that I memorized as a as a young believer was um, was was in Proverbs, uh, and it was about how sin makes you makes you a coward. Um, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And sin makes you a coward, uh, lacking to trust in the in, in the Lord, lacking trust in the Lord makes you a coward. Um, if you're in sin, uh, your conscience gets, gets defiled, gets inflamed, and then anything that potentially bumps against it. If you've ever been in, in habitual sin, maybe as an unbeliever or even as a believer, you, you, you know that. You don't have a clean conscience. You're always looking over your shoulder. You're trying to keep yourself out of trouble uh, keep people from finding out who you are or what you are. It makes you a coward. It does. It, it's a horrible way to, you know, to live. But when you're free, when your conscience is clean, uh, it doesn't mean you're sinless. It's just sins confessed. It's the, the Lord knows and everyone else knows. Then, then you're bold. There, you have assurance with the Lord, and assurance with the Lord gives you assurance to, you know, to, to walk. A humble man is able to walk uh, with his head up. Even though he's he's a wicked man, he's a sinful man. He's a he's failed in in many in, in many ways. Sin makes you a coward, it really does. Um, and but David's not a coward here. Um, he knows of nothing between him and God, and he's trusting fully in God here. And so then he says, "Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God." And notice he he, he prays, "Arise, O Lord, and save me." And then he, he makes this declaration. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek before, they, before God ever does that. And you have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's like he's projecting forward. I'm not worried. You will, 
You've done this in the past and you'll do it in the future because salvation belongs to you. You're the one who, who saves and your blessing can be upon your, your people. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Thank you for, for these men. And I do plead with you uh, to even today that you would help me to be useful to my brothers. They've already encouraged my heart by listening to their fellowship. Being here, we open the word. We look to you. You are our God. We are your people. We are trusting in you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We are positionally saints in Christ. Um, And Lord, we want our practice, um, the gap between how you see us, holy and blameless in the beloved because of Jesus. We are fully justified in Him. That's our position. Lord, we want our practice to match our position. We want that gap between those two to, to close. But we, we claim Christ. We look to Christ. Um, he, is our, he is our hope. He is our Savior. And we are so thankful. So as we are here this morning with open Bibles... And this material that comes from your word, I pray that you would help us, um, help us to learn how to work the truth out. Um, Teach us something new this morning, Lord, about you. Uh, Answer some questions. Uh, Stir up some other questions that will drive us to, to study and to seek you, that we might know you, that we might know you better. Um, How amazed we are, Lord, that you're even mindful of us, that you even listen to us, but you do, and we are your, your children, and we are so thankful, even though people say lots of things, the world says lots of things, things that are contrary, things that are adversarial, even our hearts tell us lies, but what do you say, Lord? Um, that's where we trust. And because of that trust and because of our justification in Jesus, we can lay down at night and sleep and wake up the next day and still be secure. Um, And we are are thankful for that. Lord, help us to be be bold. Help us to be confident. Help us to be stable. Um, Keep us from sin. Root out any sin in our lives so we won't be cowards. Um, that we'd have clean consciences so that we wouldn't be bogged down with all those things so that we might serve you and be men of God. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers. We are on number three, and we're working through these foundational convictions, and the purpose of this study is to drive them home. Um, being in North Carolina uh, at the beach, watching them build new houses that, that are there. Uh, they're, 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 they were building a foundation of one whenever I walked, walked by uh, every, the, the house every morning. And it's sand, right? So the, the first day, there's nothing but the big four-by-fours or six-by-sixes that are laying on the ground. The next day... They, they, they kind of stick them in the ground, and they're, they're leaning in all different directions. And then the next day I come by, and they've driven, they've pile-drive these things deep. 
we, we don't just want the, what we understand about Scripture to be laying on the ground. We don't want just those, those six-by-sixes kind of a little bit in the sand whenever something comes in our lives it knocks it over. We don't want to be weak in that way. We, we want the truth to be driven deep in our, in our hearts um, so that we can then build a life on that, so that we can lead our wives, our wives-to-be, our children, our grandchildren. We want to be stable in, in life. We want to be stable in our own lives, our own hearts, but we want to be stable in our homes and stable in the church so we can be useful for the Lord because that's why we were made. We, we were created... For service, we were created to live for, for God. The reorientation that happens in salvation is you're not the center of the universe. The creator is the center of the universe, and we orbit around him. And when you realize how big he is and how small you are, that's, that's just mind-blowing. But, but, but now we, we reorient everything. Everything is turned uh, in, a, in, 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 the, in a, a proper order to where God reigns, um, and we, we don't. And the Lord has given truth, and we want that truth to be driven down deep in our hearts, not just generally, but specifically. You're not going to stand. You're not going to make hard choices. You're not going to govern your, your life uh, in, the, in the face of the wind if you just have a general faith. You need specific convictions. And these specific convictions must lay hold of you. I mean, they must lay hold of you down deep. Because you'll say, I believe this, and I won't do that. But whenever the time comes, the temptation comes, or the, 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 the opposition comes, if that's not driven deep down in your heart, like, like those, those six-by-sixes, then, then you'll cave. You, you, you just will. And so we're talking about these foundational convictions um, that, uh, that we stand on, and then we then vigorously apply them to, to, our, to our lives. And we want to ultimately build a stronger commitment to, to the bride of Christ, to the church. And that's what God's doing in the world. What's God doing in the world? God's building His church. Um, the answer to all the problems in the world is the gospel. Uh, we know that. That's, that's the, the big umbrella. But the Lord has given the church the gospel and the truth, and Christ is, is using that gospel to call people in, into the church to where they can be sanctified, they can become more like Christ, that they, we can be reoriented, we can be remade into the image of God. We have the image of God stamped on our heart that was marred in the fall, and now through the redemption of Jesus Christ, Christ coming into our heart, the Spirit coming in the Word, we're being conform to his image. We, the, the image that was marred is being remade, and that's happening in, you know, in the church. And so you need conviction that is going, to, is going to drive you into the church and hold you here and realize this is what God's doing. It doesn't matter what your dreams or your visions are or your big ideas or what you think God wants you to do. Whatever that is, I'm telling you, it's in the church. It's through the church. And so it's not about you or your individual thing. It's about the church of Jesus Christ, and God is calling people out of the world into the church to be built. And so it, you want to do something for the Lord, you, you, you're going to develop convictions, and those convictions are going to bind you, bind you to the church. And so we want a stronger commitment to the, to the bride of Christ. And we said that starts with a working biblical literacy. 
We need to understand Scripture. Again, not generally, but specifically. You want to know your, past, uh, know your Bible, and so you can know how it applies to specific issues. And I would say it's, it, it's natural to do the opposite. At least it was for me. I come to Christ, I don't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament, and I want to start studying topics. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. As long as you understand there is a storyline of the whole Bible, and you learn how to rightly, rightly divide it. And uh, we'll talk more about that, uh, applying this, uh, the, the, the word to life's hard, hard questions. We talked about the dangers. There's so many things to distract us. Again, I think that's one of the reasons that, that vacation, at least for me, is, is helpful. I, I fill my life with, with the duties of the Lord. Um, not a lot of trivial things, but the duties of, of the Lord. But, but even those uh, actual activities uh, can, can uh, I wouldn't say hinder you, but it, but it cannot afford the time. When you see the Lord ministering in Galilee and, uh, and he disappears, he goes up on the mountain to pray, he gets away from the crowds where you can think and you can talk to the Lord. For me, that's what, that's what this time in September you know, is. But without vacation, you have phones, you've got texts, you've got emails, you've got Fox News, you've got radios, you've got TVs, you've got other people, you've got a lot of noise in your life. So you're going to have to be intentional to get away from that. And it's not just getting away from it. It's actually getting away from it and forcing yourself to think, to meditate on the on on the word. Don't make it harder on yourself. Your heart and my heart doesn't naturally, you know, fly to the Lord. We 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 have that tape player going in there, that that voice that Clay was talking about on, on Sunday night, that old man that, that's there. And so don't think about the restrictions that you may put in your life as, as God somehow taking something away or this is so hard. Think of it this way. Don't make it harder on yourself. If you have got a, a, a period of time, leisure time, uh, you know, don't put more junk in your head that makes it more difficult whenever, whenever you, you're, you're, you're able to, you know, to think about the Lord. You, you, have, to, you have to fight. For, for, your own, for your own soul. And we talked about how we don't sit and ponder truth as the Puritans once did. Why are they so insightful? Um, were they better than us? No, they, they soaked in the truth. They sopped it up. And uh, that's what you, you need to do. Be an expository listener on Sunday. I joked this past Sunday about how Romans 7, there's some technical things that, that are there. And you, you actually have to work uh, you know, to understand Romans 7. If you just roll in there and you know, cross your arms, go ahead, bless me, I dare you, then, then you're not going to get as much out of Romans 7. Well, you need to think, about, you need to think every Sunday that way. Um, prepare your heart. Read ahead. Read, read whatever the passage you know, is uh, ahead of time. And then, and then think. Uh, engage. Don't look at what's happening, even though there's one person, me, sitting there proclaiming the truth. Don't look at it as, 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 as you're, just a, you're just a spectator. You're participating on Sunday morning. You're participating right now. I think I've shared with you before Al Mohler's analogy that uh, with the sermon, you're the catcher 
Okay? And the catcher assumes the position, and he's there. Now, you don't get to call the pitch like you do in, in Major League. You're not telling God what's coming. The Lord has determined what, what's going to be pitched, and it's, it's, it's coming from Romans 7, using our example. But we're there, and we're waiting on it. We're expecting it. We're not just walking around, and the, you know, the pitch hits us. We're a catcher. And so we're in the game, and we're waiting on the truth to come. What does that look like? Well, that looks like bringing a notebook. It looks like writing down what's on the screen. It looks like uh, praying before you ever get there, maybe on Saturday night, Sunday morning when you get up. That looks like reading ahead. That looks like leaning in, uh, like working to pay attention. And then that looks like whenever, it's, whenever you're done, uh, maybe on Monday in your devotions, going back over your sermon notes and saying, okay, this is what Romans 7 one through six says, even though we got through one through three, what, what, what are the truths that, that, that I learned and how does that implicate my life? How does that, how, that that's, what you, that's what's meditation. You're thinking, you're meditating on the, you know, on the truth rather than just reading it um, and allowing it to run in and, and, and run out. That's the work of sanctification. Um, versus, okay, I'm just going to sit there and let it hit me. And if something hits me, it hits me. A lot of Christians listen to sermons that way. They go to church that way. A lot of churches are built around that experience. Whenever I come to church, you know, Christianity is the Holy Spirit hitting me with some feeling or some, you know, some truth, some idea, um, and it's your part of sanctification in that work is, is working the truth out, being an expository listener on Sundays, pondering, confessing, yielding, worshiping, and then sitting down to think of the implications. Then we talked about how to have a right perspective of leadership. Mark went over that um, last week. Look at number three here. Apply the word to life's hardest questions. I think there's two ways to do this. Apply the word to life's hardest questions. First of all, life's going to be hard. There's going to be some hard questions that are going to come to you just in life. People are going to hurt you. Uh, Sin's going to come from others. Uh, You're going to get a diagnosis. You're going to have fear. You're going to lose your job. You're going to, I mean, we live outside of the garden, not inside of the garden. And so you're going to have to figure out how to work out the truth in life's hardest question. So if when that, when that crisis comes, or that difficulty comes, if you don't know how to do that, you're going to be unprepared. And so part of this is, is learning so when that day does come, it doesn't knock you off your feet. You are like that six by six. It's driven down in the, the sand. And when the, the wind comes, the tropical storm comes, or whatever it is, then... then then, yeah, it's not, no fun. You get wet. The wind's blowing. Uh, it's not a sunshiny day, but you're, you're immovable. And so you have to apply the word to life's hardest questions. Those questions can come circumstantially. But those questions also come as you, as you do what, what we, we were just talking about. You work the scriptures out. You listen to the sermons. You read ahead. John MacArthur said years ago, Something similar that Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I have no idea why anybody wants to, to listen to me preach. 
um, I wouldn't walk across the street to listen to one of my own sermons. And um, John MacArthur used to say, my sermons just come from the questions I ask myself about the text. I come to Romans 7, and I read it, and I say, what does that say? What does that mean? Well, hmm, I thought that meant that, but it actually means this. And then I just tell people what that is, you know, every, every Sunday. Well, you need to ask questions of the scriptures yourself, um, and you need to work those out. Having a working biblical literacy will help you do that. You don't want to be just dependent on, you know, on someone else. But as you read the scriptures, it'll bring up hard questions. I had hard questions this past, this past week. I spent the amount of time that I did talking about divorce and remarriage because 1 Corinthians 7 is a passage that people mistakenly appeal to on the position of no divorce, no remarriage. And if you're sitting there and you've been through a divorce or you've already been remarried and you're, you're coming on Romans 7 and, and you don't understand how to, how to fit that into the framework of Scripture then you can be thinking about, well, am I right with the Lord? Am I an, is my wife an adulteress? You can be thinking about all these things and not paying any attention to, to what Paul is saying about the law, which is the whole point that, that's there. Well, say you come to that, and, 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 and you go, well, what does this mean? I mean, it, this, this text says this. So how do I work that out? And then that will drive you into the scriptures. Don't be afraid of those, of those questions. That's what's going to develop spiritual muscles. That's what's going to develop interpretive muscles. Um, that's what's going to, to help you learn how to understand your, your, your Bibles. And I, I, even, in, even in prayer this morning, there's a position and practice. Like in Christ, God sees you this morning in Christ. You are justified in the Lord, which is why the Bible calls you saints that sin rather than what you were. You were not what, what, what you used to be. Again, you can go back to Sunday night. You're not what you used to be. In Jesus Christ, the Lord sees you as holy and perfect and sinless because he looks to Christ. And that is your position, and nothing can change that position. But we also know we have a practice, don't we? And that practice involves sin because you still have the unredeemed flesh. It involves this process of sanctification. But positionally, you're in Christ and nothing changes that. But now in your practice over here, what your job, what you long for as a Christian is that your practice will match your position. Your practice is not making that position. Jesus Christ placed you before the Father holy and blameless. Your faith in Him, your trust in Him is the ground on which your Christianity is built. You're secure in that. You go a lot of different places. You're in the Father's hand. It's eternal security, blah, blah. In Christ, justification. And now that you've been justified, when you see sin come in your life, don't you long for your practice to match your position? (laughs) I mean, that's one of the evidences that you're a believer. You hate sin, even when it comes. And we'll get to that even in Romans 7, where Paul is saying, the things that I want to do, why does he want to do those? Why doesn't he want to do what he used to? Why, why do you not want to sin anymore as a believer? 
because you have a position, a new position. You've been transformed. You've been changed. And, and so you hate that sin. The God you once didn't even care about, you care a lot about. And the sin that you once loved and did, you, you hate and you repudiate. And so the Christian life is, is, is the desire to, to bring this practice, the practice of your life, in line with your position. And your position is, is, in, is in Christ. And that gap is there. There's a lot of things we know, and then there are things that we need to do. We have to take the truth and work it out practically. That's what that process is. You apply the word to life's hard questions, and that begins with renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. What does that mean? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Renew, renew my mind. I need to think like God thinks. Well, that, ha- that comes in, in, in asking these individual questions, but that also uh, involves uh, learning how to think biblically. Uh, we were talking this past week just about, I was, I was noting to the men yesterday, about how exposition even teaches you how to think rightly about the Bible. Um, teaches you that there, there is a, there's, a, there's a story going on, and, and, and it keeps you from just, just, just diving in to a part of text, treating, treating the Bible uh, like, this, like this, this big bag of, of, of information, and you just kind of go in there and pick what you want, rather than understanding it's progressive. There's, there's truth here. It's coming from one author, and it's building on one another. It interacts with, with, with the other passages. It just teaches you how to, how to orient your thinking properly so you can, so you can not take things out of context and, and think right. Think right. That, that's what you need to do. You need to renew your mind, not just with information, but reorienting your perspectives and your thinking the way that you, you look at life. And that obviously doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Um, so every single time you sit under truth, every single time you sit under an expository sermon, every single time you apply uh, the, the, the Bible to some of these hard questions, then, then your mind is being changed. It's being, it's being renewed. And that truth is what you need to combat the lies that are coming from outside and the lies that are coming from you know, from your, your, own, your own heart. Um, you need to put on these biblical goggles. Turn to the next page. Because this true change must happen at the heart level. And the guys are going to pass out something to you that I think will be helpful. Um, a little handout. If you guys have those handouts, you can go ahead and pass them out. True change must happen at the heart level. And before we can make practical applications of the truth to our conduct, we must look at how the truth implicates our unbiblical thoughts, desires, affections, emotions, and will. You have to make your thoughts, your desires, your affections, your emotions, and the will stand in light of truth. You have to drag it out in the light. Which means you have to know what you're thinking. 
Know what you're desiring. Know what, what, what you love, what, what has your affections. Know how your emotions are, are working and, and your will. You're, you're, you're dragging all of these things in light of the truth. True change happens at the heart level. It's not just information. You get a lot of information. And information is not bad. It comes from the Lord. But I hear testimony all the time. I could give the testimony. You could give the testimony. How many sermons did you sit under? Or how many pages of the Bible did you read before you were saved or before you discovered exposition and and it just didn't affect you whatsoever? Well, the truth's obviously not the problem. Um, If you're unsaved, your heart was the problem. But as a believer... Why not be engaging in the truth? It's just information to you. True change happens, must happen at the at the heart level. How does it happen at the heart level? We it's natural for us to you look at this grid. This is a uh, will help you think through like every passage of scripture falls in this in this grid and, and and you start in this this interpretation so if you look over to the side this is a relationship between interpretation principles application and impl- implementation and we want to get to implementation we don't want to just be hearers of the word we want to be doers of the word well how how do you become a doer of the word how do you implement what the bible says in your in your life well you got to work this backward first of all you start with interpretation Every passage has one interpretation. The interpretation is what God and the human author intended the original audience to understand and then us to understand by what was written. That's fixed. The truth is fixed. Doesn't matter what you think about it, doesn't matter what culture says about it, it matters what the Bible says. Everybody understands it. But what does the Bible say? I mean, that's the challenge, right? What, what is the interpretation of 1 Corinthians 7? There's only one. Some interpretations have several parts, and some interpretations have multiple fulfillments, but the interpretation is always one. And then from that truth, that interpretation, there are principles. Every passage has one or more principles, and the principle is a truth which is not culturally bound. What does it mean whenever Paul says... Um, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. There is an interpretation there. And then from that interpretation, there are principles. And those principles that are there, you're getting farther away from here's the truth, and now I take the truth and I understand exactly what that passage says, and now there's some principles that, that I, I can draw out of that. And that, that doesn't change because uh, the feminist movement of the 70s and the 80s or the whatever movement we're in right now. We're just, there's, there's no boundaries whatsoever. These principles don't change. So, so principles, a principle is a truth which is not culturally bound. And notice there are multiple principles. One, one interpretation, multiple principles that you could potentially draw out of a passage. And then each principle 
has applications. So Paul says that women are not to be elders in the church. They're not to be in an official teaching capacity over men in the church. God has, has given that position to men in the, in, in the church. There's a bunch of principles that you could take from that, you know, that, that passage. Now, now then you would apply that. Okay, so what does that, what does that mean in the church? Well, that means that we're, we're, we're not going to have women teaching mixed Sunday school classes. Uh, we're, we're not going to have women elders. Uh, you know, in a church where a deacon has normally been uh, men and have they, in the past they've had some level of authority, we don't want to make a woman a deacon, even though a deacon is nothing more than a model servant in the church. We, we, we wouldn't do that because it could be confusing to people. You've you got a principle and then an application. And there are multiple applications of each of these, each of these principles. And then you've got to implement them. And then there are multiple levels of implementation. So an application, every passage has many applications. And an application tells how we can apply the principle from the text to our life. Application tells us how to respond to God's truth. Your natural tendency will to go to immediately to application. How do I put this into practice? What does this mean to me? Long before you, you determine what does this mean, period, because that's what's fixed. And then once you figure out what it, what it means, what did God intend, then you say, okay, what are the principles that come out of that, that truth? Now you're into, in, you know, into application. If you go to application first, then you're not going to own it. And not only that, you can make the application the interpretation. So, so take one of these applications and move it back into that interpretation category on your grid and watch what happens. Now the application becomes the interpretation, and now you're developing principles from your application. And then you're, you're, you're in the weeds. How do churches take things... I mean, how can you grow up in a church that tells you something so firmly, like a conviction, that you learn later is nothing more than an application? It's not illegitimate, but it's not a non-negotiable. Uh, um, women wearing pants. Okay, There's nowhere in Scripture that says it's wrong for a woman to wear pants, but I grew up in a church, you probably grew up in a church, some of you did, to where that was wrong. Well, that's an application of a principle that comes from a passage about women coming to church modestly dressed, not drawing attention to themselves. So that's true. The, 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 the adornment of the heart is what is important, okay? And you don't want to come to church and draw attention away from the Lord. And there were women in the Ephesian church that were doing that, carrying on our, our First Timothy. Women in the church coming in uh, with, with Austin, you know, showing off their wealth and, and, and other things. So we don't want to do that. And it's, modesty then is, is a principle that's, that's drawn out of that. Well, then what does modesty look like? Well, in our day and age, modesty looks like dress. Okay? But 
Now you take that application being addressed that goes down to your ankles and you actually make that the principle or interpretation in the passage and then that becomes what, what rules when that's not what Scripture says. It's not illegitimate. It's a, it's a legitimate application, potential application, but that application only applies to you. It doesn't apply to the whole church or everybody else. And then, and then you forget that that was just an application. Or, at one point in time, um, facial hair. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that I am a pastor and I have a beard would have been scandalous in, you know, in the 70s or others. Why? Because all the hippies had beards. And you didn't want to look like a hippie. Because these are rebellious, these are God-haters, these are people, you know, like that. Well, that becomes an application. And then that application becomes an interpretation or other. And you have to work these things out. You have to see where they fall in the, you know, in the, in the grid. It's not that they're illegitimate. And you, you may have conscience matters that, that will drive some of your applications, um, and as long as they fit within principles and interpretation, that's fine. But remember Romans 14. You do that before the Lord. You have no right whatsoever to put your conscience on another believer whatsoever. If that believer is standing or falling before the Lord, then that's where they stand or fall. What is one slave uh, telling another slave what to do when his master is, is, is freeing him to do that? You don't, don't, don't play master with another man's servant. The Lord doesn't take kindly to that. But you have to work out the truth. And this is how you work out the truth. There's an interpretation, and from that you have principles, and then from that you have applications, personal applications, and then you put it into practice. So now you're into implementation. Every passage, every passage's applications can be implemented in many ways. Implementation addresses specific ways in which the application of the text can be, can be applied. Implementation is more specific than application and gives concrete methods and techniques and procedures for applying the, the application. If implementation is not achieved, then study is of no value. You must implement the truth. Um, and every time I get there, I've picked on Mark Hager. I'll give him, throw him a bone now. I think of Mark here because he's always talking about practical theology. He's always talking about you got to put it into practice. You don't own it until you practice it, until you implement it. And once you implement it, then you actually, then you actually own it. So there are many ways that you can actually implement an application. You want to use that modesty idea. There are many ways that you could implement that in your own in your own personal life, or your your family could could do that. Um, and you don't want to get these things out of out of order. True change happens on the heart level. Now, why did I just give you this grid system? Because if you're going to take unbiblical thoughts and desires and affections and emotions and the will, and make them stand in light of truth, then you have to know how to arrive at the truth, and you have to know how to work that truth out in your life. And this is the grid to which you, which you do that. When we rush, number two, when we rush to make outward applications 
we undermine our spiritual renewal by focusing on changes in mere behavior. Christianity is not behaviorism. Christianity is not focused on change of behavior. I mean, ultimately, but there's a process to get there. You get your kids to do certain things without a heart change. You may have the force in your home, authority, spanking, consequences, food, car keys, whatever it is. You may have the ability to make them do that, but the minute that they're out from under that, they are what they are. If you do not change them on the heart level, that's your goal. Same thing with you. You can change your behavior, conform to the church, to other brothers, to be, but who you are is who you are alone before God. Who you are is what is actually operating in your heart. And you remove those externals, those, those things that, that God has actually given as blessings, fences to hold, hold our hearts in, if they're used properly. You remove that. And people go crazy. They go wild. Why? Because their hearts never change. What you want is a changed heart. Your heart changed. Your family's heart changed. That's what the Lord wants. He wants changed the heart level. And if you rush to make these outward applications, then you can undermine the spiritual process of, of renewal. You say, but I just want them to change. I just want them to do right. Well, the Lord does too. And yet there's a process to... That, 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 you, that you go through. So take poor money management as an example. Let's say you struggle with poor money management. So a lot of times the answer is, well, you need to make a budget. You need to stop eating out. Stop going to Starbucks. You need to get a savings account. Um, you need to start giving to the Lord. Um, but unless you ask yourself the hard questions, like what's going on in my heart? Um, how is it being, how is it, how's it selfishly oriented? I want to control. I don't want to, I don't want to, want to give up control. Um, I'm not trusting the Lord. Unless you, unless you, you bring your unbiblical thoughts. Um, well, how in the world can I make it if I, you know, if I give whatever percentage to the Lord? unbiblical thoughts, lest you take your thoughts, your desires, I really like doing that, your affections, um, where you spend your time, you spend your money, uh, reveals way more than you think it does. It tells you where, what, where your affections are at, your emotions and then, and the, and then your will, your actions. Um, we typically want to run to uh, doing a budget, stop eating out and, and saving, and then giving 10%. Is there anything wrong with any of those things? No. In fact, they could be part of the tools. <laughs> There's nothing wrong whatsoever with, with, with that. But if you go there, but you never fix the heart issue, then you're not really changed. Your behavior's changed, but your lack of trust in the Lord, your, your personal consumption where you basically live for yourself, none of that's changed. And so this is the warning. Don't run to the implementation or the application without going through the interpretation and the, the principles. So here's some key 
implication questions. How does the truth confront my will? How does it confront what I'm doing? What idolatries of the heart must I confess and and forsake? I mean, all sin, every sin problem is a worship problem. You're worshiping yourself, something else, rather than the Lord. What idolatries? Well, that puts it in a different category, doesn't it? It's not just about not having your Starbucks. It's about worship of the Lord trust of the Lord? What do I need to confess and then forsake? What unholy motivations are really mean? You may need somebody to help you with this. This is what other brothers are for. What unholy motivations are ruling me? What motives of my heart? You do what you desire to do. And those desires, again back to Sunday night, is coming from an evaluation of things. And you want to evaluate life through God's eyes, not through the, the, the voice in your own head, not through your old man, not through your fallen nature. Because that's telling you things, and if you buy into those lies, then now that's how you're going to be looking at your money or your life or whatever whatever it is. You have to and then that deception is going to turn into, into things that you want, and then you do what you want to do. Um, your will follows your desires, and your desires are connected to, to your perspectives, your thinking, which is why you have to renew your mind, which is why really the battle of sanctification is mind renewal. It's thinking properly, battling that polluted stream that's still in your in your hearts, that's coming out in your, in your minds. So what unholy motivations are ruling me? And then you look at, is there an unbiblical or heretical thought pattern, thought pattern um, that's there? Look at your life as a whole and see what you see. Look at your life as a whole and see what patterns are there. What are the patterns, the ways that you, you, you deal with your coworkers? What are the patterns, the ways that you deal with your, 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 your brothers or your sisters, your family, your wives, your kids, your church, what, whatever it is? Look at the patterns in your life. Those patterns are going to reveal a lot of things. You may think one thing, but if the patterns are saying something else, you know the statement, if everybody's got a problem with Bob, maybe Bob's the problem, Right? If this pattern keeps coming up over and over in your life, regardless of what you think or what you feel, the pattern is telling on you. Now figure out what's behind the pattern. What, what's the unbiblical pattern going on in my life? And then work your way back up this list. Well, what unholy motivations are ruling me that's then producing this pattern in, in, in my life? Um. And then that motivation is going to tie into an idol of the heart. Something down in there is going to be, Mark talks about this is like the you know, pay dirt or the tap root. There's a root that's there, and that's producing a tree with a lot of bad fruit. Um, and if you're looking at your life 
and there's apples all over the ground, rotten apples all over the ground, and you're saying there's nothing wrong with the tree, you know, <laughs> um, work it back up or work it down in this case from the fruit, the patterns of your life to what's being produced in that. What are the motivations? That's the sap, and you're going to get down to an idol in the heart that you have to confess or forsake. And that only comes through the confrontation of the truth. And listen, that's painful. It, it is. Uh, but it's worth it. it, it it's really worth it. Um, well, how do you know the truth? Well, you have to have a working biblical literacy of the Bible. Not just general, but specific. You've got to take this thing right here and, and, and learn how to work it out you know, in your life. You've got to test your convictions or otherwise to see. Are they genuine biblical? I mean, if I'm going to die for it, I'm not going to die... Women over women wearing pants, but I'll die for the deity of Christ. I'll die to the con- for the conviction that that the scriptures are the authority of God. The in- they're inspired by God, and they're they're absolutely sufficient. Um, you have to be able to do that. This helps people see from Scripture why they do what they do, and it helps people see God's perspective in. In every situation. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us, your care for us. You never give up. Sitting out this morning, the back porch, 50 some degree weather, whatever it is, beautiful. 60s, looking up at the moon that was lighting up the trees, the stars, thinking, who in the world am I that you're even listening to me right now? You're so massive. You're so amazing. And yet you do. You're listening to me this morning. You're listening to me right now. And you listen to every one of these brothers here. And Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. You have saved us. You've transferred us from a dark kingdom into a kingdom of your dear Son. And positionally, Lord, we stand before you holy and sinless. But as we look at our practice, we know that that there's a gap there and we long to practice like our position. Help us to do that. Help us to take the truth and apply it to our lives. Maybe something even that was said this morning, your spirit brought conviction. I pray in every one of those cases, we wouldn't let that just pass. We might write it down and work on it this week. Bring it before you. See our unbiblical thoughts, motivations, and otherwise, and submit to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.